This is a Cato Special Podcast. I'm Caleb Brown. The president's speech to Congress last night contained inapt comparisons of health insurance to auto insurance, the importance of forcing you to buy insurance, and the out-of-hand dismissal of ideas like decoupling employment and health insurance. But the president, to be sure, says that all good ideas should be on the table. Cato Senior Fellow Mike Tanner comments. The reality was that uh, President Obama was really speaking to about 100 members of the Democratic Party in the House and the Senate. Essentially, he was telling the blue dogs and the far left of his party that he really, really needed them to get over it and work together. Whether or not he was successful in this uh, remains to be seen. But, uh, but I think it's much more important that how he handles his own party than uh, what the overall reaction from the public is. Now, he talked about uh, a public option uh, a little bit, but suggested that only 5% of Americans would sign up for it, but somehow this is enough to, quote-unquote, keep the insurance companies honest in his way of thinking. Well, and he's being a little bit disingenuous the way he quotes the uh, Congressional Budget Office on this. The legislation says that for the first couple of years of the public option, only individuals uh, and businesses with fewer than, I believe, 50 employees can sign up for this. Uh, And Congressional Budget Office says during that period, about 5 million people will switch. But the legislation also gives the secretary of HHS the discretion to open that up eventually to all employers. Now, if that were to happen... It would be much larger. Uh, the actuarial firm Lewin and Associates estimates it would be about 89.5 million workers would be forced into the public option. All of President Obama's rhetoric regarding choice and competition uh, reasonably leads you to expect that he is actually going to say the words, purchase health insurance from out of state. And then he doesn't. That's right. He ignores one of the clearest ways to create more competition. He talks about the concentration of insurance markets in states like Alabama, but neglects to mention that it's illegal for someone living in Alabama to buy health insurance in Mississippi or Tennessee or, or Georgia. In fact, that whole rhetoric was amazing because his plan from beginning to end is a limit on choice and competition. I mean, you don't have a choice about whether or not you buy health insurance. You have to buy it, and you have to buy the package of benefits that he wants. If you're a business, you don't have a choice about whether to offer insurance or what kind of insurance to offer. You have to offer it, and you have to offer the set of benefits that he wants. Uh, He's going to create this public option, which is going to squeeze out private insurance and leave people with fewer choices of who's going to insure them. So it's an anti-choice, anti-competition proposal sold in the rhetoric of choice and competition. He says here, there are those on the left who believe that the only way to fix a system is through a single-payer system like Canada's, which would severely restrict the private insurance market and have the government provide coverage for everyone. On the right, there are those who would argue that we should end the employer-based system and leave individuals to buy health insurance on their own. I have to say there are arguments to be made for both approaches, but either one would represent a radical shift that would disrupt the health care most people currently have. Well, it would be a radical change in either direction. Uh, Certainly on the left, uh, he must include himself, since uh, as recently as last year, he said that his preference was for a single-payer system like Canada. On the right, he would include people like me and other scholars at the Cato Institute who think that we should ultimately move away from an employer-based system. 
Because after all, first, why should your boss pick your insurance? And second, you shouldn't lose your insurance when you lose your job. Uh, there's nothing magic about the employment-based system. It's sort of a historical accident, and it doesn't work very well. So maybe we should have some disruption. He drew one analogy to auto insurance in, his, in mentioning support for an individual mandate, saying, look, you'll have to have it just like your state requires you to have auto insurance. But your employer doesn't provide you with auto insurance. Yeah, very strange analogy. Uh, you can buy your auto insurance almost anywhere. It's experience rated. If you have a lot of accidents, you pay more than somebody who doesn't, whereas he wants to prevent health underwriting for private insurance. Uh, you could buy it across state lines. In addition to that, though, auto insurance, he talks about the mandate. Well, driving's always been a privilege. Uh, you can put all sorts of restrictions on it. Uh, an insurance mandate is very different. It's much more like the draft in that it's simply a universal obligation of citizenship. And lastly, auto insurance mandates don't work very well. 47 states have an auto insurance mandate, and in almost every one of them, the percentage of uninsured drivers is higher than the percentage of people without health insurance. The other thing that strains that analogy is you buy auto insurance. The other thing that strains that analogy is that you buy auto insurance to protect others from your mistakes. No, that that's right. Uh, you know, you're not required to protect uh, buy insurance that protects your own car or your own hospitalization. It is simply the insurance you're required to have protects someone else that you might hit. Uh, you you can buy insurance to protect yourself if you want, but it's not required. So what about the individual mandate? This is something that uh, hasn't gotten a, a whole lot of talk really publicly as in terms of a policy proposal that a lot of people want. Well, and people don't understand that the individual mandate doesn't just affect the uninsured. You know, the president once again last night said that if you have insurance that you like, you can keep it. But with an individual mandate, that's not true. As soon as you have an individual mandate, the government has to specify what insurance meets that mandate. And in the bills before Congress, there's a whole list of benefits that have to be included in the insurance policy you have. Uh, that means that even if you have insurance today and you like it, if it doesn't include those benefits, in the long run, you will have to switch plans to the plan the government wants you to have. What are some of those uh, required coverages? Well, they include everything from vision care and dental care for children uh, to drug and alcohol therapy, mental health parity. Uh, many of these are going to drive up the cost of your plan considerably. So teetotalers would be required to purchase uh, drug and alcohol coverage, counseling that, coverage? A absolutely. Uh, if you're a Mormon missionary, you're going to have to pay for your alcohol rehabilitation therapy. Mike Tanner is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute and co-author of the Cato book, Healthy Competition, available for purchase at Cato.org.